You're hanging out After Hours with Matt Anderson, presented by Inside the Gamecocks. Good evening, everybody. How about that Gamecock men's team, the Gamecock women's basketball team? Both got big wins over the weekend. I can't can't say how excited I am for Gamecock sports overall. I think that I saw a statistic the other day that um, 12 of the sporting teams at the University of South Carolina are all now ranked in their respective polls for their respective sports. So the future is bright for Gamecock athletics. Uh, Ray Tanner, for as much crap as a lot of people give him, we have to be excited about the trajectory for South Carolina. So big shouts to the men's team, big shouts to the women's team. Um, they're, they're doing big stuff there. And as you can see, my dog just decided to um, hop up on the bed behind me. Um, really, really excited tonight. We have a guest. Um, we don't have a lot of guests on this show. Um, sometimes we'll do a, a late night show after a big Gamecock win. And sometimes Phil will pop on or JC Sherber will pop on. But uh, tonight we have Alex Jones from the Big Spur. If you guys have been longtime uh, viewers and readers of the Big Spur, you know Alex Jones' work very very well uh alex for my money might be the hardest working man in the business so really excited to have alex on the show here and we'll, we'll get him on in a little bit uh he he's um he's about to hop on here shortly but one of the things that i've i've seen has been a big topic of conversation right now around the big spur around social media around gamecock men's basketball is the net ratings and I just kind of want to shed some light on what the net actually means and what it doesn't mean. Uh, so, Phil, um, if you can pull up the South Carolina net team sheet, um, this is something that I really enjoy looking at. And look, it, it might be tiny. If, if it's tiny for you guys, I'm going to blow up my screen. So blow up your screen. But this is actually what the selection committee looks at. So I'm going to kind of walk you through what this what this means. So um, the top right, you have 45, which means that the Gamecocks are ranked 45th in the net. Um, the blue around South Carolina actually means that the Gamecocks would be the official automatic bid for the SEC because um, due to tiebreakers, they actually are in first place in the SEC, although they, they have a um, tie with Alabama. So the Gamecocks are 9-2 and two on the season. Um, if you go just left to right, the Gamecocks Division One record is twenty-one and three. Their road record is five and two. Um, you can look at their strength of schedule numbers and look. I, I don't put too much weight into that because you have the net SOS with the strength of schedule, and then the RPI SOS. The, the selection committee doesn't look at RPI anymore. Um, they really don't even look at non-conference strength of schedule, just because it's become such a Power Five dominant. dominant um, NCAA tournament that you, you can't help who's on your non-conference schedule. A lot of times those games are scheduled a year, two, three in advance. So you can only play the teams that are on your schedule. And so the selection committee understands that. If you look at the top right, it says average net. And so the Gamecocks average win against net opponents is 173 in the country. And the losses are 43rd in the country. It's a really, really good number. So the Gamecocks have three losses, and on average, that those losses' net ratings are 43rd in the country. At this point in the season, I always try and remind folks that you have the predictive metrics and the result-based metrics. So KPI, which is you know key performing indicators, um, this is all based on what the Gamecocks have done this season, and they have the 15th best KPI in the country. And the same thing with the SOR, which means strength of record. So the Gamecocks have the eighth best strength of record in the country, which, you know, boiling it down to its easiest way to understand this is that of the opponents the Gamecocks have faced, they have performed eighth best in the country against their schedule. Um, so strength of record is a really important indicator that the selection committee looks at. So to the right, you have predictive metrics. Um, BPI is ESPN's BPI rating system. Gamecocks are 48th. And then POM is Ken Pomeroy's predictive metrics, and the Gamecocks are 45th. Uh, the Sagarin, I don't know why it's still on here, but the Sagarin isn't used anymore. But that was another form of predictive metrics. And when you look at the predictive metrics, it, it, it really does boil down to 
effective offensive efficiency minus effective defensive efficiency. And sometimes, you know, that's a high number. If you look at Houston right now and Ken Palm, they have a difference of like 31.2 or 32.3, which just means if the game was played at a hundred possessions, they would beat the average opponent in college basketball by 31 points. So, you know, predictive metrics are great. I think that, you know, Ken Palm does a really good job with, you know, how he formulates his data. But Ken Palm also has past season data that is playing a role in this season. So that's why I always look at the result-based metrics. The result-based metrics are essentially what have you done this season in, you know, in a silo. And the Gamecocks have really, really good numbers there. Uh, if you look at um, the quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, quadrant four, and then overall home record, away record, neutral record, and non-conference record, uh, the Gamecocks have really, really good numbers there. Uh, Twenty-one and three overall, thirteen and one at home, five and two on the road, and three and zero oh in neutral conference games. Our, our neutral, neutral, um, Kylie, I'm blanking on the word, neutral court games, and then twelve and one in the non-conference. So I always like to look at quadrant one and quadrant two. And right now the Gamecocks are eight and two there. And then on top of that, I look at away record and neutral court record. And at this point, the Gamecocks are eight and two. Those are really, really good numbers. But the one thing that I want to bring everyone's attention to is you can't just boil things down to, you know, what the result-based metrics say or what the predictive metrics say or what the quad one record is, quad two, quad three, quad four. The selection committee is actually going to see, you know, what the quad one games look like. And yeah, that's an ugly one against Alabama, but that's a really good one against Tennessee when in 63 to 59. And then they had a loss to Clemson on the road. And again, you know, the road losses are better than home losses. And um, neutral court wins and losses matter a heck of a lot, too. So this is what the selection committee actually looks at when they break down the teams that are worthy of NCAA tournament um, selection criteria. So they're going to be they're going to be opportunities for the Gamecocks to have what I would call tiebreakers. So a tiebreaker might mean that. All right, if the Gamecocks are going up against Alabama and they have similar quad one, quad two, quad three, quad four records, they have similar road um, neutral court records, they have similar result-based metrics, you're going to see Alabama probably get the benefit of the doubt there when it comes to seeding. But right now, I just, I'm really excited for where the Gamecocks stand because this is a really good resume and it's why you see Despite the BPI of 48 and despite the Ken Palm of 45, the Gamecocks are consistently predicted in that three to five seed range, which three times four equals 12 and five times four equals 20. So the selection committee right now is probably going to see the Gamecocks as one of the, the 12th to 20th best teams in the country. So I want to get that out of the way. I might throw some more images up here a little bit later, but that's what the selection committee looks at. And I think that we've all been bogged down too much with what is their quad ranking? You know, what is their net ranking? What are they doing against quad one and quad two? So um, that's where, that's where the Gamecocks are, are sitting right now. And I think it was, just, that's the perfect segue to bring in um, everybody's favorite, the big spur contributor, Alex Jones. So Phil, if you don't mind, bring Alex in. Hey, Alex, how are you doing tonight? Doing pretty good. about yourself? Man, I'm doing awesome. I'm so happy that I have you on the show tonight. I mean, for my money, I don't think that anybody has seen the Gamecocks up close and personal more than you have. <laughs> I mean, Alex, how many have you been to every game so far, pretty much? So I've been to all the home games but one, and then I went to Georgia and Tennessee for those so, home games. So you saw the Gamecocks beat Kentucky. You saw them beat Tennessee. You know, what about those two games, especially because those are the two wins the Gamecocks have against top 10 opponents at the time. What did you see in those matchups that made you as a journalist believe that the Gamecocks might be pretty good? I think it's got to be the way they play defense. Um, kind of working on something right now, looking at, you know, how they're holding other teams points per game average down 
I mean, like Tennessee, they held them to like 30 points. It felt like below their points per game average. And when you look at the Tennessee game, like Dawn Connect scored 13 points at the end of that game. I think with like three minutes left before, I mean, they had like 46 points with three minutes left in that game. So it's just their defense has just been really, really good. And I know we've talked about the tempo has a lot to do with that and limits possessions for both teams, but it really limits scoring possessions for the, the opposing team. So, I mean, you can kind of trace that back to the way the, off, the Carolina runs their offense. You know, Talon Cooper runs that offense perfectly. And it's just exactly what Lamont Parrott needs. And he was really – he's been a rock star. And really just the defense, just the way they've improved. And that's just really what's standing out so far. Do you think that's the biggest difference in last season versus this season? Because you, you saw them up close and personal last year as well. Do you think that the transfer portal has been an opportunity for the Gamecocks to get better? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Talon Cooper is kind of just like the X factor for this team. Just you kind of wonder where this team would be without Talon Cooper. And that's not saying anything about the rest of the players, but he's just kind of the straw that stirs a drink for them. And really, you look at BJ Mack. I mean, he when he's hitting threes and doing everything else, rebound and all that. I mean, he he's a key player for them. Miles Studi, we called Talon Cooper the X factor. He may be the X factor for them moving forward when he gets hot from three. And he's really just been doing a whole lot for him. So, really, I think the transfer portal has been huge for them. But when you look at the returning players, too, Jacoby Wright's improved. Michi Johnson's not just a three-point scorer anymore. Like, last three games, he's had, like, I know the Tennessee game, he had seven assists or so. He's doing all of it for them, too, and really playing good defense. So, you look at him, Zach Davis has improved, too, defensively. So, I think that's just really what's helping them right now. Yeah, it was interesting when, um, well, you and I were both there, but when Lamont Paris talked about Michi Johnson in the press conference on Saturday, he just said, like, people, you know, want to sit there and say that Michi's a scorer or Michi is kind of bottled up in this one specific thing that he does and how important it is for the Gamecocks for him to also be a facilitator Mm -hmm. because Lamont said it. And if you guys haven't heard this press conference, I would encourage you all to go back and listen to it but he explained how fast Michi plays the game of basketball. And, you know, from a rebound or an outlet past 3.2 seconds up the court, he's having to make four different reads. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the difference you've seen in Michi from last year to this year? Obviously he went through the NBA draft process and got some good feedback, but yeah. you know, did you see this coming? I thought he'd be improved, but I think him getting off the ball on offense and having to run the point has just been huge for him because he now can just focus on, you know, doing the other things instead of having to run Lamont Paris's offense. You know, his first step, watching him with his first step when he gets the ball, he's just lightning quick. And the way he drives the basket, that the whole defense just collapses. That's where he's seeing these assists come from. Like he's finding B.J. Mack in the corner. He's finding Miles Studi on the wing. So he's it's not just shooting anymore for him. Like he's been really good defensively too. I, I absolutely I agree with you. Um, Michi and Talon, you know, it's one of those things where you and I were talking about the other day, like when Talon comes off the court, you know, they need to have that secondary ball handler. They need to have that person that can keep the offense going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if Michi's quite there yet, but we're definitely seeing um, him taking that next leap as a college basketball player. And, and look, he has one more year left and, maybe playing beside Talon just unlocks something that he he's never been able to even think he could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Talon had really, a, you said it the best, you know, he's the straw that stirs the drink. Um, you know, we watch South Carolina and I, I think sometimes people kind of outside of the South Carolina kind of echo chamber are like, Oh my gosh, like this offense is boring. This offense just, <laughs> dribbles the ball and passes the ball until five seconds left in the shot clock. And then they shoot the ball. Well, you know, for me, I think it's, you know, Mike Morgan says it best. I think this is a Rembrandt. I mean, this is just beautiful. And, you know, I told you the other day, I would love to ask Lamont Paris, like what is a bad shot in your offense? Cause I don't think one exists. I think that there's always somebody that has the opportunity to, to make a shot when his number is called, no matter if it's, 25 seconds left in the shot clock or three. Yeah. And when you see the shot clock running down, they get to down like 10 seconds or so. They're not panicking. 
like, and Talon's been key to that, but they don't panic. Like, they just keep running their offense, and next thing you know, Talon Cooper's draining a three from the wing or something. I mean, he the, – the way they run their offense, just like I said, they don't panic, but they continually find open shots against really good defenses too. Like, Tennessee's a really good defense, but they found open shots against them. Yeah, I think it's fun to watch. And then also just what Colin Murray Boyles has done. I mean, mm-hmm. so Alex, can you talk about what you were hearing about CMB in the preseason and, you know, what your expectations were for him and, and now what your expectations are for him going forward? Yeah, you heard so much about him just being one of the better players coming in as a freshman. And then it's actually funny today. We talked to Lamont Paris for a little bit and he pretty much said he's like, yeah, he was going to start before he got sick as a true freshman. And then he gets sick and, you know, it just took him a while to get into the flow of things. But now it kind of made me laugh when uh, Lamont Paris the other day on, it was with Carolina calls with Derek Scott. He was talking about that offensive rebound that Kyle Murray Bulls got against Georgia, which kind of separated where he and Lamont said he kind of grabbed it like a ping pong ball. And I think it's a great way to watch or describe him playing because like, I think sometimes with post players, you wonder how good their hand-eye coordination is and catching the ball. He's really, really good at it. And I think one of his, like, under kind of what's not talked about enough is his ability to find open teammates for shots. Like, he's really good at when he gets the ball, he'll look around, he'll find an open teammate, or if not, he'll drive his man down and score. But, you know, after 31 points against Vandy, like, <laughs> you wonder what the next step is. But that was an incredible performance. Yeah, and it's funny, like watching Colin and what he had his first game was it? What was the non conference game right before Clemson? I think he got a couple George of minutes. Washington, I think. Yeah, the George Washington yeah. game. He got a couple minutes, and I think he played like four or six minutes. And then he played, I think, 18 or 20 minutes against Clemson. And, you know, I thought it was almost not a disservice to him because the Gamecocks needed him. And he, clearly, they felt like he was one of their best players on the team in the preseason. But, you saw a couple passes that were maybe a millisecond to a half a second late. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me watching it, I had heard about Colin Murray Boyles, but I was like, okay, that's a freshman. That's a freshman mistake. You know, like he don't put him on the perimeter, but like, really, I think that was rust. I don't think it was actually a freshman mistake. It was, I think I can make this pass. Yeah, for sure. Like you, you've seen it really the past three games or so he's really adjusting to the college level and getting back to that, getting that understanding of the speed of the game. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's, um, I don't, I don't know what to attribute it to, but his last three games have just been, I mean, let's not mix words here. That's a first team all conference player for sure. And, you know, going into Auburn, I don't know how much you've had the chance to watch Auburn. I watched Auburn play, the first game of the season against Baylor, they gave up a lead against Baylor. I've watched them here and there. I watched a little bit of the Florida game once I got home on Saturday, but by the time I got home, that game was just completely out of reach. Yeah. Um, I, I know that Bruce Pearl likes to play fast, even going back to Tennessee, which is really interesting that the way that Rick Barnes, you know, coaches his team and plays like they're very more, they're very much methodical. And I don't want to take anything away from Auburn because they play fast and they're methodical and they have 10 guys that play 14 minutes a game or something, something ridiculous. I mean, in my mind, the broom kid at Auburn is making a run at Dalton connect for Mm -hmm. the sec player of the year. But I mean, actually I'm going to pull it up really quick. Um, I I just want to look at that, that tempo because you and I talked about that on Saturday. Um, So the Gamecocks play at, a ridiculous rate. It's actually pretty funny. Uh, so the Gamecocks, I can't get it. Where is it? Uh, I'm have to do this. So the Gamecocks play at a 62.7 possessions per game, um, yeah. which ranks 355th in the nation. So the Gamecocks, obviously, you know, they play slow, but they play um, precise. Uh, Auburn's adjusted tempo is 69.8 possessions per game. So knowing that Auburn is going to be rotating guys, one of the biggest things that I've thought about this game is the Gamecocks have been able to wear down opponents mm-hmm. and wear down opponents opponents by making them guard for 30 seconds and then making them play offense for 30 seconds. And then when the Gamecocks get the ball back, it seems like 
one of every three possessions ends in an offensive rebound or a tip out for the Gamecocks to, you know, have, you know, just burn some more clock. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really fun to watch, but I think like the biggest thing coming, going into this Auburn game is, you know, Auburn has the fourth best defense in the country, the 16th best offense in the country. Gamecocks are, you know, top 50 in defense, top 60 in offense. I think that this game is going to be a battle of wills. And I wonder how the Gamecocks will hold up when Auburn's going to be rotating players. And it's kind of like a yin and a yang because you're rotating players as frequently. Are they going to be able to get into a rhythm against the Gamecock defense? Or are they going to wear down the Gamecocks because they just have so many, so many bodies to throw, throw at them. Um, just would love to get your thoughts on, you know, what you're thinking about this game and you know, Gamecocks, I think open as an 11 point underdog. Yeah. So uh, it's, I think Auburn's also what like 41 and three in their last 44 games at home. It's Something a ridiculous stat. Yeah. So just tell me your thoughts, Alex. I'd love to hear them. Yeah. We're looking at this game, you look at Auburn's offensive stats. I mean, they're, seems like top of the league and everything. So South Carolina defense, South Carolina's defense is once again going to be tested. You know, you got, like you said, Janai Broom, who's, you know, right there for SEC player of the year and probably defensive player of the year. I think he's leading the SEC in blocks right now. So, you know, then you got Jalen Williams right there. So, you know, Colin Murray Bowles and BJ Mack, you know, they're going to have their hands full down there. I think, you know, it's going to be interesting to kind of watch the guard match up there, see how, you know, Michi Johnson, those guys kind of match up with them. But, you know, South Carolina's been pretty good on the road this year. And, you know, that's a that, like Tennessee was a pretty good environment. Auburn's going to be a really good environment, too. So, you know, looking at that is just, you know, maybe survive the first couple punches if you're South Carolina because, you know, there's going to be some, you know, just kind of weather the storm like they did against against Tennessee and, you know, make it a game in the second half. And, you know, if you keep playing defense like you are and you make that a, you know, 60 to 70 point game, you got a chance. I think you're you're spot on there. I think that the Gamecocks don't want this game to get in the 80s. Yeah. I don't think the Gamecocks want this game to get in the mid 70s. I think that if the Gamecocks find a way to hit their hit their open shots, and yeah. you know it's you know we look at the Gamecocks and you remember I mean you were at the Georgia game, mm-hmm. and you know as well as Georgia shot the ball in the first half, the Gamecocks actually made more baskets than Georgia yeah. did. And it's just one of those nights, or I guess I should say one of those afternoons when, what are you supposed to do? (laughs) I mean, you have 16 made shots and 16 assists and you're still down by four at halftime. I think the Gamecocks have to avoid that. I mean, like for me, the danger zone for the Gamecocks is down by like eight points at halftime. If the Gamecocks can keep it within eight at halftime and get a new game to start the second half and start getting some stops, but the Gamecocks cannot afford to have, what was it, Alex? One for 11 in the first half against Vanderbilt yep. from three. They can't yep. afford that. That's a recipe for disaster against Auburn. Because, you go, you know, if you go one for 11, they're going to grab an offensive rebound. They're going to go with it. And, you know, you're going to have to have good transition defense against this team because, you know, they'll run down the court and then they'll find one of their guards out on the wing and have an open three. Next thing you know, they're on a 9-0 run. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, I'm looking at Auburn right now. And obviously, Janai Broom is their their best player, probably the most consistent player. Yep. But then after that, it's um six eight, six seven, six one, six foot, six foot four, six foot three. Mm-hmm. Um, and they got another kid, Dylan Dylan um, Cardwell, six eleven. It's not like the Gamecocks are going to be at a height disadvantage. Right. And if the Gamecocks are able to force some tough shots, I mean, how many? I would love to know this number. And Alex, I'm not going to put you on the spot because I don't think anyone knows this number. But I would love to know how many times an opponent has shot the basket with less than five seconds on the shot clock against the Gamecocks this year. I feel like it happens yeah. five or six times a game. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, it feels like that. I so think, go ahead. So I was going to say, probably another thing with this game too is Auburn gets to the foul line a lot. Like, they're really good at it. And not only do they get there a lot, but they make their free throws. So that's another key. And South Carolina's been really good playing without fouling this year. Like, you know, you see all these people talking about the Bo Ryan system kind of at South Carolina, not turning the ball over, not fouling. That's exactly what South Carolina's doing. So I think that's going to be another key for this game is limit Auburn's opportunities at the foul line. Yeah, again, Alex, I'm I'm glad I have you on the show right now because you're absolutely hitting the nail on the head. (laughs) 
because uh, we were talking on Saturday and what it was 59 minutes of game action where neither team went to the foul line in a bonus situation. Yeah. I, it's if, if the referees allow the game to be played, you know, physically, I think that's a big plus for the Gamecocks because we can say what we want about the Gamecocks depth and yeah, they've had a lot of guys, you know, contribute. And I think that, you know, two weeks ago, there were six different guys over a two game stretch that scored in double figures, but the Gamecocks can be a little bit reliant on the three pointer to help mm-hmm. them out. I mean, when you think about like the times the Gamecocks have pushed a lead and it's gone from, you know, maybe a three point game to a nine or 12 or a 16 point game, it's been a barrage of threes. And yeah, looking at Auburn this season in, in conference play, especially, they're allowing um, 33% make from, oh no, let me get that right. They're allowing 30% make from the three-point line, which is best in the conference. So yeah. the Gamecocks have to find a way to get their shot off and not get rushed, not get pushed in transition, exactly what you just said, and and play their style of basketball, which, look, at this point, I'm not counting the Gamecocks out of any game. I, I mean, no. I don't know what your thoughts were going in the Tennessee game, but I've been to Tennessee before. They they pack was it eighteen nineteen thousand people in there and yeah and Tennessee if you ever been to a football game there they they are loud and they are they're in they're in the grill of the other team so yeah it'll be it's gonna be such an interesting game and I, I'm excited that it's at eight thirty on Valentine's Day because I'll get it I'll be able to you know have dinner with the <laughs> wife and and then still get to watch the Gamecocks play but um so that'll be a lot of fun and and we'll talk more about. Gamecock basketball as we get through it. But um, Phil, if you want to go ahead and give a word from our sponsors, let's let's knock that out so we can get right back to Alex with the hard-hitting information. Hey, everyone. This is John Weiss, Jr., and I'm with the House of Hope of the PD, a faith-based ministry focused on homelessness and men, women, and children. We are so excited for the Evening of Hope, Jeff Foxworthy event, on March 11th, at the Florence Center. For general admissions tickets, please visit Ticketmaster. And if you're interested in table or other sponsorship opportunities, please contact me directly at 843-667-9000. Thank you so much for your support. God bless. Chicken cock originated in Kentucky, like so many other bourbons. And so the resurrection of it, you know, Paris, Kentucky, that's the county seat of Bourbon County. So much of this whiskey was being made in that Bourbon County, put on ships and barges and shipped down Ohio, down the Mississippi, and got to New Orleans where it got distributed all over the world. And people kept saying, well, hey, I want some more of that whiskey from Bourbon County. And so that's how Bourbon Whiskey uh, got its name. And Chicken Cock originated actually in Paris, Kentucky, which is today Bourbon County. Phil, real quick, um, if you could throw up the graphic that I sent you earlier, I'd like to see the South Carolina this season graphic because um, Alex and I were talking about this the other day. And when you look at South Carolina and you look at you know where they rank so far this season, and and look, I know that this is numbers, and sometimes numbers aren't a heck of a lot of fun. But when you look at this, this is the entire season according to Bart Torvik. Um, I really like oh, this actually. Yeah, this is Bart Torvik. I really like Bart Torvik. So um, the adjusted efficiency at the top, you see the Gamecocks have a, a top 47 in the country offense and a top 47 in the country defense. And when you look at these numbers of the course of the season, 
it says that South Carolina is performing as the 43rd best team in the country. But um, really quick, Phil, if you can show the South Carolina last 10 graphic really quick, when you look at the last 10 games, the Gamecocks are eight and two, and you look at this adjusted efficiency number, and while you see that the offense has kind of slipped over the last 10 games, the defense has jumped way up to 22nd best in the country. Um, and so over the last 10 games, this is saying that the Gamecocks are playing to the 28th best level of any team in the country. Um, and and look, the way that the Gamecocks play basketball, it's never going to be pretty. Um, it's, it's not going to look good to these computers. They're not going to be, you know, looking at um, Auburn really quick. I mean, if you look at Auburn so far this season, they're averaging 118.4 points per 100 offensive possessions and 92 points given up on defense for you know a pretty good difference there. And when you subtract 118 by 92, that's why that Auburn looks so much better than the Gamecocks. But the really important graphic I want to show you all is South Carolina versus the top 50 teams in the country. And Phil, if you don't mind. So if you look at that defense against teams ranked top 50 in the country, according to Bart Torvik, They've had five of those games. So yeah, small sample size. I get it. But you only you can only play the teams that are on your schedule. And the Gamecocks have the eighth best defense in the country. And Alex, you know this. Defense travels. Mm-hmm. Defense travels everywhere. And you look at this over, you know, against top 50 teams, they're they're performing the 25th best in the country. So um it's it's really interesting for me to look at these numbers. And Phil, if you don't mind. Can you throw up the um, Q1, Q2 numbers really quick? So um, you guys might not be able to see it, but when you look at this, when you look at this, South Carolina is 10th in the country at eight and two versus quad one and quad two opponents. Um, One and two in quad one A games, which means the top half of quad one, three and two in quad one overall, and then five and oh in quad two. So that's eight and two. Yeah, they have that four and one record against quad three. But, you know, sometimes people ask me, like, Matt, how is Purdue going to be the number one seed in the NCAA tournament when they're number two in the, in the national rankings? But if you look at that Q1 and Q2 number here, they're 15 and two in quad one and quad two games. So the selection committee is going to give grace to Purdue because they've proven it more than Connecticut has, despite Connecticut only having two losses, just like Purdue. Um, Purdue has two more wins. So, but I I won't I wanted to show this graphic just for the rationale here to understand why South Carolina might be a a three seed, a four seed, a five seed, maybe even a two seed. Because when you look at this graphic, Gamecocks have an 80% win percentage in quad one and quad two games. And if you look at the math here, you know, there's not many teams that can touch the Gamecocks. And and it's important to realize that you're looking at the North Carolinas, the Kansases the Arizonas, the Tennessees, the Houstons of the world. And I just wanted to point that out right now because so many people get caught up in the net, but the net really, it matters, but it's much more of like a sorting tool. And what the net is showing is that South Carolina, when they play a quad one or quad two opponent are getting the job done. And then Phil, the the last one I want to, I want you to pull up really quick is um, the bracket matrix graphic. Because I think that's pretty important. So if you guys are ever interested, you can go to bracketmatrix.com. Um, and this has, you know, like 80 people that do did do brackets. And, you know, today is February 12th. Um, the last submission to this that I saw of all the brackets that they used was February 6th. So some people do it once a week. If I was going to do a bracket, I'd probably do it once a week. Um, there's too many moving parts to you know, want to put that legwork in to get it, to get it done. But if you see here, South Carolina is a five seed and the average seed line is 5.16. The Gamecocks will probably be in the latest round of CBS or ESPN or wherever you get your bracket from probably going to be moving up into that four or three seed line. And I just say all of that to say that don't get caught up in the net. The net is just a metric that is perfect at the end of the season. And, you know, I actually pulled the numbers today. I didn't get filled this graphic. But when you look at after the last game is played every season, the final net ratings, most of the teams are within 
if you were to say, okay, a team's ranked 40th in the country in the net, and you do 40 divided by four, like a 10 seed, you know, just say they're a 10 seed. That is usually where they end up. So the net is not a perfect measure of basketball ability right now. There have been 4,618 games played so far this season. And of those 4,618, only 24 involve the Gamecocks. So when you look at what's happening in the rest of the world, and I, I said on the Big Spur earlier, you can't live in this Gamecock silo of, well, the Gamecocks just beat two teams this week and other teams lost. Well, guess what? There were 4,594 other inputs that impact where the Gamecocks stand in the net. And, you know, going back to this season, if you look at what's hurting the Gamecocks, the net ratings and, you know, say if it's good, say if it's bad, I really don't care. I don't care. But when you look at it, the Gamecocks were favored to beat VMI by 23. They won the game by 10. They were favored to beat DePaul by five. They won the game by seven. They were favored to beat ECU by six. They won the game by seven. They were expected to beat Charleston Southern by 25 points. They won the game by four. So when every game is counted the same in this metric, you're penalized just as much for not beating Charleston Southern by what you should have. And I, I pulled those games you know, for a good reason. When you look at it, VMI is now ranked the 349th best team in the country. DePaul is ranked the 300th best team in the country. East Carolina, the 177th best team in the country. And Charleston Southern, the 316th best team in the country. So what does that mean? That means that the Gamecocks did not beat those opponents by what everyone else is beating them by. <laughs> and when every game's counted the same, it, it, it's hard. I mean, you look at, you know, I just want to point this out. Um, when South Carolina played um, USC Upstate, um, they were favored by 17 points. And I, I mean, you were probably at the game, Alex. I think they, they won by more than 17. I think they won by like 30-ish. Mm-hmm. They actually moved up five five spots in Ken Palm. Five spots in the net. So like <laughs> those, those games, while, you know, it's frustrating for fans, they all matter. And they all matter in the grand scheme of 4,618 games. So, Alex, I would love to just get your thoughts on that and how you feel about the net because it's a it's a point of contention right now in Gamecock land. Yeah, for sure. You kind of hit the nail on the head at the beginning. Your quad one and quad two is really one of the bigger things that matters. And eight and two for South Carolina is just really, really good. You know, with the net, I think they're somewhere in the 40s right now. What's happening is it's just not catching up to South Carolina right now. You know, you can have the eyeball test on South Carolina and know they're better than the 44th or whatever they are right now in the net rankings. The thing that's hurting them is, you know, you mentioned that Charleston Southern game only went in by four. That drugged them down. And then those some of these teams in a non-conference like DePaul, Charleston Southern, you know, Elon, some of these other teams who really haven't quite gotten it going, that's hurting them right now. But at the end of the day, when you look at, you know, some of these bracketologists, you know, they have South. I mean, see, uh, Jerry Palm had South Carolina as a three seed this morning. Uh, Joe Lenardi's got him like right on knocking on the door of a four seed. So it just shows that the net ranking's not the end all be all. Like it's like I've seen you say it on the board, it's a sorting tool. Like, you know, that's what they'll use it for. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not just because South Carolina's in the 40s doesn't mean they're going to be a whatever, a six seed or something in the net. Yeah, and that's why, like, you know, this, this graphic's up right now, and I wanted to pull this up because you have 101 brackets or whatever it is, and the Gamecocks are a five seed, and a lot of these brackets haven't been updated yet. So just remember that. I mean, the Gamecocks have enough quality wins that um, they're going to be fine. Um, Phil, you can take the you can take the graphic down now. Um, but you know, <laughs> Alex, I think that you actually have a recurring article on the Big Spur where you talk about the net ratings that day. How how much fun has that been to write every day? Oh, man. So it's fun when, uh you know, South Carolina beats Tennessee and they rise by 15 points but or 15 spots. But, you know, yeah, it's been interesting. Um, I, don't, I don't think I've done one in a while, actually. But, you know, just being – you look at the rest of South Carolina's schedule – like they have nothing but other than that LSU game, they got nothing but quad one and quad two opportunities. 
And so, you know, if you win your share of those, your net ranking is going to improve, especially with how many road games they got, you know, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Auburn. And, you know, you win those, like everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, I can get as frustrated as the next person with the net, but, you know, the net giveth and the net taketh. And, you know, it's it, it it's interesting because they say that there's no scoring margin involved anymore, but I don't believe them. <laughs> I don't believe them at all because they talk about, well, guess what is in there, Alex? Adjusted offense and adjusted defense. And guess what that means? There's a difference. There's a delta yeah. between those two numbers. So, yeah, I think scoring margin matters. You know, we had um, I was a guest on Inside the Gamecocks the other day, and Mike Morgan said that Joe Lenardi kind of let the cat out the bag and explained that, you know, when I see teams, you know, win by more than what the point spread was, they go up in the net. <laughs> and in South Carolina, just at the pace that they play, they're not going to have a lot of these games where they are a five point favor and they win by 15. There's just not enough possessions in the game. So it's interesting to me, but um, that's all the net talk we're going to do tonight. I mean, it, it's, it's a fun thing to track, but you know, at the end of the day, I always say, look at the net at the end of the season, whatever it is at the end of the season, I guarantee you it's going to be pretty daggum accurate. Right. So Alex, I kind of wanted to get a little bit of a background on you because you know, people read your work on the big spur and, you know, they're finally getting to see your face on camera, which is a really big deal. I think it's awesome. Um, so just tell me like a little bit about how you got started in this industry and, and kind of what led you to you want to be a, a sports journalist. So I've always had a love for sports, you know, growing up, I played all different types of sports through high school and all that. So I kind of thought this journey would be interesting. So I went to USC Salkahatchee for two years in Allendale and then transferred to South Carolina and went into the journalism school. Was there for two and a half years, graduated December 2021. And then after that, went straight, probably about a couple weeks later, got offered the job at the Big Spur and here we are. I love it. I love it. So you've been you know, a couple of years now, you know, covering this type of stuff. Um, and you, I think you were, you were at the women's game against Connecticut, right? Yeah, I was there. Well, what was that environment like? I mean, is it weird to see the men's team start getting the kind of crowds the girls do? Yeah. Colonial life. You got to give credit to the fans this year, like for men and like, they've been strong for the women's for a long time, but you know, colonial life's really been a great atmosphere so far, you know, you know, UConn game, they, it, I think it was pretty much sold out, but when you, and it was just loud constantly. And it's just so impressive what Dawn Staley's done with that program. You know, and you look at the men's side, like that Kentucky and Ole Miss game, I think you were there for at least one of those. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that environment is just, it's different right now this season. And obviously, you know, being number 15, top 15 team in the country helps, but, you know, you got to give credit to fans and all that colonial life. I mean, it's been an awesome atmosphere so far. Yeah, it's crazy to me. I looked at the polls today, and I don't know if this has ever happened, and at least not since I've been alive, maybe. Maybe since I was a little kid, maybe 8, 9, 10 years old. But um, the USC men's basketball team is ranked higher in the polls than the UConn women's team is, which <laughs> it's kind of a wild thing to think about. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, I think if you looked at it right now, South Carolina probably has the SEC Coach of the Year in both men's and women's. I think there's a strong argument if things stay the same way, you could have it both a national coach of the year too. Yeah, because it's interesting. We had this conversation with Mike Morgan on Inside the Gamecocks the other day, and we talked about, you know, Mike, as a media member and someone that's around all these programs, how do you rank who should be coach of the year? Because you look at, you know, Dan Hurley at UConn, and they started the season, you know, number six, number seven in the country. They Yeah, they just won the national championship last year. But at the same time, like you lost three key players off that team. And now you're the number one team in the country. You're going to be a one seed. You definitely have an opportunity to repeat. But you talk about like Lamont Paris and picked last in the SEC. And we all know he took that personally. But, um, you know, how do you how do you look through that? And I think you made up a good you brought up a good point when you talk about Don Staley and Don Staley potentially, you know, being national coach of the year because they lost so much off of a final four team 
lost the number one pick in the draft, probably like three first rounders in the WNBA. And now she has the team potentially playing better than they were ever playing at any point last year. For sure. And, you know, adding Tahina Pow Pow has just been like probably one of the more underrated, I guess you could call it, transfer portal additions. Like she was incredible yesterday. And, you know, last year they didn't really have that three-point threat too much. I mean, this year is completely different. Like you, one, you still have Camila Cardoso down there in the paint, but now you got Pow Pow and Raven Johnson and them, you know, consistent threats behind three. And I think it's just almost taking them to another level this year. Yeah, it's it's been fun to watch. I try and catch as many of the women's games as I can. Um, but it's unbelievable what they're doing right now. And then, you know, what they have in the arsenal coming in is in the freshman class next year and, you know, building on this success. Um, I do want to give you a quick shout out. Um, I don't know if you're looking at um, chat row right now, but um, Todd Gwynn says at Alex Jones, I really appreciate, I really enjoy your coverage of my Gamecocks. I read every article. So I appreciate that. um, Yeah. So Todd, Todd's a loyal big spur Big Spur fan and a fan of you. And, and you know what? I'm a fan of you too, Alex. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a heck of a lot of fun. Um, and we were talking about the other day, you know, just the amount of work that you do to mine the internet. And some of the times, I don't know where you get like your coverage from. Like uh, you are literally mining <laughs> the internet. Look for, through everything. And I asked the other day, I was like, you know, Alex, do you have like Google alert that anything that happens with any Gamecock of all time? Um but before I get before I let you get out of here tonight, before we close this show, um, what what were your thoughts on the Super Bowl last night? I know that we had two Gamecocks in it and kind of tough first half, but the second half became electric and then overtime. Heck, I didn't even know the rules. I didn't know what yeah. was going on. Yeah, I wasn't really sure either. But you know, I, I think I told you at the game, the Vandy game, like it's hard to go against Patrick Mahomes. You know, it kind of feels like a lazy take, but I mean, the guy's just a winner, and you know you kind of felt like when that game got to overtime and they kicked the field where you're like, all right, this feels like a touchdown drive coming. Yeah. I I think the same thing. I mean, I'm not going to ask for your take on the halftime show. I think that's been pretty (laughs) controversial. I will say that I personally, as a 2006 graduate of South Florence, Usher was um, someone I listened to a lot and Alicia Keys. I I really enjoyed it, but I know that a lot of people didn't. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's it's like anything else. You know, when you have the halftime show and the commercials, it's you're either going to be one way or the other. You're not going to yep. be just straight down the middle. But um, so Alex, before I before I let you go, and we're going to close this out here in probably the next five minutes or so. Um, what what are some highlights that you've had as a part of the Big Spur? Maybe a favorite interview or, or favorite guy on the team or girl on the team this year you've covered. You know what what's been some of the highlights? Uh... You know, I think this year with this men's basketball team, like, they're all really – they have great personalities on this team. You know, like, today we got to talk to Jacoby Wright and Miles Studi, and those two guys are awesome. Like, you know, you talk to those two guys, and they all just give you, like, really, you know, thoughtful answers. And, you know, this team, the men's team and the women's team are like – it's like that too. But, you know, both of them are just – you enjoy being around, like, their personalities is the big thing. Yeah, so my brother played college basketball, and that was one of the most fun things was being around, you know, the team. And, like, that's when I actually stopped being a fan necessarily and started – I'm not going to say a journalist. I wasn't a journalist then. I still don't really know if I'm a journalist now. But um, just seeing what these guys and gals put into every single season. And it doesn't matter how you feel as a fan. Like, I promise you, those 14 girls in the locker room, 13 guys in the locker room, those 85 guys on the football team, when they lose, they take it personally. And it's not fun. And, you know, it's been so fun to watch, you know, both the men's and the women's team have the success that they've had this season because it's long overdue for, you know, these programs. And it's long overdue for the fans as well. But I'm just, I can't say enough about this team. I think that, you know, the sky's the limit for them you know, the men's and the women's. Um, and, you know, we're going to have a big game Wednesday night. We're going to have a big game Saturday. Saturday, I think, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this like Legends weekend for the men's? Aren't they going to bring back a lot of like the 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 maybe 
older guys or the yeah. Devin Downies or something like that? I want to say you're right on that. I don't know for 100% sure. Don't remember, but I want to say you're right on that. That is Legends Weekend. Yeah, so the Gamecocks, you know, they have a big game this weekend or this this week against um, Auburn. Um, it, it should be a lot of fun. I encourage anybody that can to listen to um, Derek Scott's broadcast. Um, you can simulcast it. There's, I mean, I did it. You can listen to Derek Scott call the game, and and sometimes it's better than the announcers that um, ESPN or SEC Network has. And you know, you're not going to find a more passionate um, announcer then Derek Scott, and then obviously the legend, Casey Manning. So um, regardless of what happens Wednesday, I, I encourage everybody to be there Saturday. I think the tips are what, 3, 3 o'clock, 3.30, Alex? Do you remember? It's uh, 3.30, yep. Yeah, so 3.30. Alex will be there. I'll be there. Come say hello to us. Not hard to find us. We're in section 108. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll have a good time, and we'll talk some Gamecock sports. But Alex, I cannot tell you how much i appreciate your time and if you're up for it i'd love to have you on the show um more often going forward absolutely i really appreciate you bringing me on this was fun yeah so alex have a great night alex that probably has 18 articles to write for the big store before he goes to sleep but um yeah um alex again thank you so much for being here absolutely appreciate y'all we'll talk to you soon so everybody i hope you enjoyed alex jones on the show tonight um alex is a absolutely phenomenal human being. I'm, I'm really appreciated getting to know him a little bit more. And he has a very unique perspective on Gamecock sports because he covers so much Gamecock athletics that, you know, you're never going to find somebody that has their finger on the pulse of Gamecock athletics as much as Alex does. So really appreciate him joining us tonight. Y'all we're going to be back tomorrow night, actually. Yeah. Um, a couple of notes, actually. Um, we'll talk about tomorrow night in a second. Um, we're, we're not going to have the Thursday show going forward. Um, the Thursday show um, that was in podcast form. Um, we're going to do a couple of different things. I'm probably going to be on Inside the Gamecocks a little bit more. I'm going to do some more short um, content for you guys. So you'll still see me. You'll still hear me. Um, but yeah, Monday nights going forward at 9 o'clock is going to be the show that you're um, participating in right now. Um, tomorrow night, though, don't, don't go anywhere. Tomorrow night, 9 o'clock. I'm very excited. We're going to have John Whittle on the show. We're going to preview Gamecock basketball, or I'm sorry, Gamecock baseball. We'll probably talk a little bit of Gamecock basketball because John knows his basketball and football and baseball inside and out, and and he knows everything that's going on in Gamecock, Gamecock sports world. But uh, we're going to have John Whittle on tomorrow at 9 p.m., so bring your questions. Um, John has been gracious enough to, to join us and give us a Gamecock baseball preview. Opening day is Friday night or Friday at 4 and then there'll be two more games the rest of the week, weekend. So um, Gamecock baseball is coming. Gamecock men's basketball, Gamecock women's basketball is in full force. And before you know it, we're going to be right there at um, spring practice for football. So um, a lot of good stuff going on at Gamecock athletics. And I just appreciate all of you sticking around with me and, and being a part of this ride. But at the end of this, I always say it. I, you have no idea how much I appreciate all of you. You give me the most valuable thing that you have, which is your time. And I, I can't tell you how much that means to me. I appreciate all of you so much for being on this ride with me and, and following Gamecock Sports. It's it's a labor of love for all of you, and it, it, it never goes unnoticed. So um, thank you so much for being a part of this show. Thank you so much for um, your support. And we will see you all tomorrow night at 9 p.m. Can't wait to have John on the show, and, and we'll, we'll take it from there. But I hope you all have a great evening, and we'll talk soon.